Happy New Year, Marty. Happy New Year, Lydia. How are you doing? Coming off of how many, two weeks of vacation? Almost two weeks of vacation. I'm feeling really good, but I'm also kind of um, afraid that this good feeling will go away once I start going back to the grind, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's a bittersweet moment. Like, I feel like I can only vacation for so long before I kind of get like the itch to like do something productive. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, definitely been enjoying the two weeks off and it was hard today uh, to kind of like get back in the swing of things and be like, okay, gotta brush my hair, <laughs> put on a, <laughs> a clean shirt and go to work. For sure. I'm not... Um... So this is Monday. I'm not going back until tomorrow, which is Tuesday, mm. which will be. So you're clinging to the, I'm clinging. the final threads of the vacation. Yeah. That's nice. Did you do anything exciting or fun or like what's what was your highlight of the vacation? I finished a book. I finished Black Indians and gave nice. it to my mom. Ooh, <laughs> nice. I know I gave mine to Buster. So oh, cool, cool. Yeah. share the love. Um, no, I've just, you know, I'm trying to, I... I realized recently that I don't have any kind of routine. I just kind of wake up in the morning and go by the seat of my pants. Um, So I've been trying to practice waking up at a certain time, doing certain things I like, and then Mm -hmm. going throughout the day, doing certain things um, and closing the night in the same manner, you know, having some sort of routine. Mm -hmm. And I haven't done anything special, but it's felt nice to not have obligations to go to because I am constantly there's always something or I'm always wanting to show up for someone even if it's not you know something related for me so it was nice to be off completely yeah to totally unplug there was like days where I kept my phone up in my like bedroom all day and I'd be mm-hmm. doing other things around the house and like was not even connected to my phone and that was like glorious in like a way that I like can't even express it's so nice to just unplug sometimes it's 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 kind of hard because there's always on the other end of someone, you know, texting or emailing you an expectation of a response. Mm-hmm. But I honestly feel like let people get to you when they get to you. Like, let's mm-hmm. move out of, I don't know, our world moves so fast. I feel like we don't appreciate that the world used to move slower. And that's oh, okay. For sure. That, that's pace. For sure. And patience and like the security in knowing that, like, yeah if your relationship with someone is strong enough, like they'll get back to you when they can. And if they're not getting back to you right now, like it's because they're doing something else and that's okay. Like I've had a few conversations like that with other friends because I have so many friends from back in college on the West coast um, and all over the place that I don't see or talk to for months. And, Mm -hmm. but we kind of have this understanding that like, if one of us reaches out, like we'll, we'll talk to each other and like, we'll get back to each other when we can on different like conversations, but there's not this like pressure to like, keep the conversation going immediately. It's kind of like we might have a conversation over a three month arc that, sure. you know, and I think that that's, that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, taking a breath once in a while is nice. Uh-huh. For sure. I agree. Yeah. Well, I'm and- so nervous to go back to the grind. I'm trying to like mentally prepare myself and I don't know, try to carry these new habits into it, but I'm afraid I'm going to lose it until next, or I guess this year around the holidays when I, rejuvenate again you're right you're right yeah I routines are so important and I think you're so right though like it's something innately human that we need routine to like Mm -hmm. just function healthily and even if it's this like just getting up at the same time or having you know a cup of coffee and like Buster and I will like play one board game in the morning so we'll have a cup of coffee play a board game and then I go to work and he does his thing you know and like but that is like our routine for the mornings um 
which maybe is like a really childish way to that. Say, no, but I've never heard that's awesome start yeah, your morning with a bit of a brain stimuli and yeah right and so you kind of ease into the day with something fun I usually win so I get a good ego boost Buster <laughs> <laughs> goes you know gets a little sad but that's fine he'll deal with it I'm kidding um but uh and I think it helps because we just had a Benji with us for Christmas too. So having a six-year-old, you're kind of more aware of like setting a routine and having, you know, a, a bedtime routine. And, you know, here's, we, we do this, we shower, we brush teeth, we read books, we go to bed. Um, and that's really helpful. But one of the, a piece of advice I got in college from a student that I was working with in a class, she said, treat yourself like you would a small child. And I thought that that was such a powerful piece of advice that whether it's how we talk to ourselves or how we care for ourselves, how we bathe or, or clean or, or feed ourselves, like do it as if you were doing that for a small child, because we kind of understand the, the sanctity of like a small child's health uh-huh. and well-being. And then we kind of like shrug it off, off when it's ourselves, even though like we are just like small children that have gotten bigger. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think that that's a good reminder sometimes. I'm going to think of it that way and think about like tell, talking to myself, like you have a bedtime, you need to be in bed right now. What are you still doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. And to be gentle with ourselves too. I can find myself, you know, like when there's a thousand issues in the world and I want to try to solve them all. And I'm just one person, like, I don't have to harp on myself. I can treat myself like a, a small child that wants to do a thousand things and say, okay, it's okay. Do one thing at a time, break it down, do smaller things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's helpful in a lot of different ways, nice. which brings me to one issue that we've wanted to kind of bring to people's attention um, as we all let go of those final threads of vacation and holiday time and move into the issues that our community is facing. Uh, we're back on it with Erie City Council again. Uh, it seems like the never ending like soap opera of <laughs> like questionable decisions. Um, so as some of you may have heard, uh, recently it was Mel Witherspoon, right? Yes. Nominated, um, Witherspoon nominated Ed Brzezinski for president of Erie city council. Mind you, Ed Brzezinski was the same man who said that Liz Allen was a nut and called her abroad. And then when asked to apologize, he basically just said like, well, I hope we can just get over it. I thought my mic was off. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So, not the not best example of leadership. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so he's just been nominated. Uh, <laughs> I guess Barty, what I mean, what's your reaction to that? I was kind of floored. I like didn't expect it, and I guess I should expect everything when it comes to politics. But like, Fair. I kind of was like, really? Yeah, I think I was. I was on vacation when I saw the news and I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to extend the energy right now. <laughs> For, oh my gosh. Cause otherwise it's tiring and disappointing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if not for simple PR or public relations, like, does it look good to have the same individual that was in a whole bunch of controversy only a few weeks prior or a month prior to nominate them to be the leader of said body of government? What kind of sense does that make? They didn't display leadership. They displayed um, poor behavior. And this is the person that you're nominating to be president. It's just kind of ridiculous. I can't even be mad at it. It's just, it's, it's not, it shouldn't be surprising. I mean, it should be surprising, but I don't know. I'm so 
numb to the ridiculousness of it. It's yeah. crazy. It's kind of sad. It's sad, but it, I think, I mean, it's, that's a survival mechanism too. Like if we got so outraged by every injustice, like mm-hmm. our blood pressure would be through the roof. We'd be so unhealthy and anxious and like, yeah. So yeah, I, I get it. And I think it's a way of managing just all the craziness we have to deal with, but yeah, it's just, I don't so understand bizarre to me, like of all the people to nominate of all the people. Of all the people, like there, there are six other choices. You couldn't choose any of the, any of the other people. And None I understand everything is about relationships, but um, as much as I love all my friends, I recognize that certain friends have certain skills or certain friends mm-hmm. would function in certain ways in different positions. Mm-hmm. So if I'm on city council and even though I might be besties with Ed Brzezinski, the behavior he has displayed last year Mm-hmm. at least very publicly that whole controversy I wouldn't have nominated him mm-hmm. so it also I feel it reflects on the people who are like you know encouraging him to become president mm-hmm. it's just crazy to me yeah no it's it's really wild and, and it just again it just feels like such a disconnect it feels like mm-hmm. here's the community saying this is not okay this person doesn't represent us and then here's the elected body saying this not only does this person represent the community, but they represent the best of us too. Oh, wow. Like, True. really? You think he's like the best you guys got? Like, really? Really? And it's not like, and I feel like for some of these different bodies and boards around town, um, I don't know why some of them run. I think some of them, you know, want the title or whatever comes with being in leadership that I don't understand as a non-elected official, but mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lack of understanding how important some of these roles are and like how, mm-hmm. or maybe they do and they understand how powerful it is. So if it's a really powerful seat, then it makes sense to put someone who's going to be backwards on things, you know? Mm-hmm. So it makes sense this decision to put Brzezinski up there. But if you are trying to keep in mind that you're representing a diverse city and a city that was, you know, um, at least the people who are very vocal about, you know, his language against Liz Allen, which was misogynist, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't nominate someone like that to represent Mm -hmm. and lead decisions for the whole body this coming year. Right. It's just, yeah, you're right about the disconnect. Yeah, it's frustrating. So as we, we try to do, and I think this time we have an opportunity to be a lot more active, um, you know, we're not going to be responding in the aftermath. We can really engage in the moment in this process. Um, so this this episode comes out Tuesday. The meeting where this um, a new election is going to happen will be Wednesday of this week. So that'll be the 6th, January 6th, Wednesday at 8.30 a.m. Um, the city council will be having their meeting. You can find their meeting information on um, the city website, but you can also find it on Facebook. They've, like, they make event pages for it on Facebook and you can find the links to access the meetings. You can find the link to... Um, sign up to participate in the meeting. If you want to be heard as a resident and you don't have to live in the city to make a comment, you can comment um, no matter where you're from, you can make a comment. I live out uh, in Edinburgh and I've commented during these city meetings before. So um, anyone can sign up to, to make a comment. Um, and that link is available on Facebook and on their city website as well. And it'll be also in our episode description, the link. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so, so you can sign up to attend the meeting and, and make your voice heard um, about where you stand. You can also call your elected officials. If you live in the city, call the people on council and let them know who you think they should vote for. Because also, and here's the silver lining and maybe something we can try to do is like find the, like the good people and lift up the good people in our community. Um, David Brennan, who we previously had talked about because I was impressed with how he responded when the community expressed outrage about Brzezinski. Mm -hmm. He was the only one I think on council that really stood up, was accountable and, and apologized for not being more strongly against his misogynist language. So David Brennan is going to be nominating Liz Allen for president. So you can also call other council members and advocate for them to support Liz as opposed to Ed Brzezinski. Um, and your council members are Michael Keyes, Kathy Schaff, David Brennan, Liz Allen, Mel Witherspoon, Jim Winarski, and Ed Brzezinski. If you're listening to this episode, I think it should be like our community resolution to be like more engaged in the local decision making in our city. You don't have to be engaged in all of it because that would be exhausting. But like choose a body of government, choose county or school board or um, city council, or if you're in a borough, borough council, whatever mm -hmm. municipality you are and pay attention to it, get involved, speak up, but maybe run for office. This is a local election year. Mm -hmm. um, Lots of seats are up. Yep. Let's just be all more engaged and pay more attention. You're listening to the Our Airy Podcast with Marty Wakuku, Lydia Lath, and Devonna Paisley. This series will bring citizens, entrepreneurs, activists, politicians, artists, and thought leaders to the table for a frank discussion around societal issues facing our post-industrial city and the United States at large. Take a seat. Okay, so wait, how old is your grandmother though? Use it like go ahead, using FaceTime. Like my oh, grandma's using oh FaceTime. My <laughs> huh? She is, oh my gosh, I don't even know because she's we never know how old our grandparents truly well, are. Yeah, like honestly, for the last two decades, she's been 60 in life. <laughs> so she's probably like on the upside of 70, but I honestly don't even like she's just perpetually 60 to me. <laughs> Cause that's like the last time I knew her age. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. same with my mom, like for a long time, she was like always 36. Like again, for two decades, I was like, she's like around 36. Something yes. like that. You know, now I'm like approaching 36. I'm like, okay, that just logically doesn't make sense anymore. But I have no idea. Oh my gosh. I'm always messing my parents age up. That's all. It's hard. But yeah. 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 But yeah. So it's, it's really funny to have to like, not have to, I enjoy these calls with my family but the antics that happens of like people not knowing if people can hear them or see them and just navigating technology with family members can get tense sometimes mm -hmm. oh my, my parents God. and I don't really zoom I think we do have done it twice and no one really yeah. seems to have interest in it and also I don't care for the you know figuring out the tech so <laughs> we'll see each other when we see each other and my mom's like why do you get so mad at me I'm like Mom, I've explained to you how to send an email 12 times. <laughs> it's like, do, do I click the send button? 
yes, the send button <laughs> sends the email. I don't know how oh, much clearer this can be. Uh, I don't want our older listeners to think that we're making fun of y'all. No, it's not. No, not a, no, just my mom. I'm just kidding. No, I love my mom and she's a listener. So mom, I love you so much. Yeah, because we can't give that to all. I mean, no, our, day coming, our day's coming, folks. One day we're going to wake up and the Zoomers sure. are talking about something we don't understand. What For do you sure. mean? Our, my day is here. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually, I'm 33 years old. And it's like, I just not figured out Zoom and all that. Like, it was really hard. I just not figured out how to Zoom post. <laughs> So for real, for real, like technology oh, yeah. can, is over a lot of our heads at first. Oh, for sure. They oh, said like, God. that's like a, a millennial thing now is to <laughs> like prematurely become like inept at technology to be like, well, I'm 30 now. I don't know what the TikTok is. And I was like, but that's me. <laughs> I felt oh, personally attacked by some of these memes I was looking at the other day. I tried to do a reel on Instagram and I was like, how? I didn't even understand. It was too many steps. I So I'm just going to stick with, doing the video I, mm-hmm. I can't like it's just too much but I did find this cool thing the other day. I haven't used it yet because I haven't figured out how to but there's this cool app now connected to reels on Instagram called thread and what? it will automatically um caption your videos so you could take a video and it will like auto um populate like the the closed captions for it and it'll put them in and like you can design them so they pop up as you're talking and then different fonts and stuff oh wow and I thought that that was a really cool thing for accessibility I don't do reels so I have no really use for it but I think it's a really cool function for people that (laughs) are a little bit more hip than me huh I was like literally everybody is using TikTok like doctors lawyers like people are informing education it's like crazy and I, I love like seeing it on Twitter, but I don't want to sign up for it because I'm still, and I know I'm Facebook, <laughs> I'm on Instagram, I'm on mm-hmm. Twitter, but it's like one of these things where I'm like, I don't know what TikTok is doing with that data. Something about them just sketches me out. So I'm like, <laughs> I have not downloaded it yet. Yeah. I, I don't have I feel it like it's totally, uh, uh, I don't want to say irrational, but I feel like sometimes I get like irrationally concerned about certain things and I'm like, okay, except for the fact that like, I'm on social media all the time, checking in, doing all these that I know they're tracking, like how long I look mm-hmm. at things and what I like and, you know, like, and now like someone was saying that they're going to start tracking like your facial expressions or so. I don't know if that's true, but like, there's been rumors about that going around. And I'm just like, I, I wouldn't so be surprised, evil. but <sighs> our faces are literally always looking at the camera. Right. right. Wow. And it's so funny too. Cause like, uh 10 years like when I was in high school my mom used to like make us cover up the cameras on our laptops and on like other things she'd be like people can see you through that and like all these like she was like up here when it came to like caution on on computers and on social media and technology and stuff but hmm yeah have you all seen and I have so I have an old Samsung Galaxy and um I also use Google Photos to back up my pictures, but between the actual gallery app on my phone and Google Photos, it will categorize and put things into folders that I have not. So like any picture I have my dog in, it'll be like dog, animal, um, cake, and food. It's all categorized and other random things. I'm like, why are these, what are you doing with this? The creepiest is the people. They can recognize, they're like, so I went to the like people section in my phone the other day and they're like, oh, here's all your photos with like Buster. And it popped up all, and I was like, it's just weird. It's, it's very weird. It, oh we've just accepted God. that this is normal and this is okay. And we're like, oh, that's so convenient that now they've categorized all my photos with certain people. Not really unpacking, like they, 
they being the like technology can recognize Buster's face. Oh, it's yeah, it's weird. Now I'm scared. They know our right? circles. They know who knows each other. You know? Yo. Uh, if they're yes. listening right now. Or whenever you go, so you meet someone for the first time ever, first time ever at the bar or something. You have maybe a 15 conver- 15 minute conversation with them. Next thing you know, the next day they show up in your Facebook friend <laughs> suggestions. What? Yes. Uh, I've had that happen. Scared. Uh-huh. So, All the time. It's too or much. just like that like ads too. Like there's so many yeah. jokes, like TikTok videos of people like being like, oh, boyfriends away. Like engagement rings, engagement, like saying stuff into their like significant other's phones or whatever. Like they make yeah. a joke out of it, but it's so true. I've seen like the weirdest stuff too. Like uh, one time I saw... Uh, so I was born in Oregon. I grew up in Pennsylvania and I uh, saw these t-shirts that were like, oh, perfect t-shirts for social workers who are from Oregon, but live in Pennsylvania. And like, it was like, I'm just an Oregon girl living in a Pennsylvania world or so. And it was like, so weird that it was like just for me. And I was like, how is this happening? Uh, what? That's so now that I can't. That's scary. That's like <laughs> takes me back to the West World. But that's on. Uh, you ever seen that show? Yeah. Oh mm-hmm, my god. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what do we do? So like my excuse for being on Facebook is that a lot of my work in organizing or connecting with people is through Facebook. Mm-hmm. Twitter and Instagram are for me because it's not really work adjacent. Mm-hmm. But I'm aware that like they're capturing my data and using it for ad revenue that I'm not seeing any money from. Right. And I don't know. So like, I'm choosing to still participate in that. And aren't I part of the problem? I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts and where are your, your boundaries? And Lydia, I mean, you watched this documentary too. I'm forgetting that. I know the social dilemma. Everyone oh, I watched it, yeah. watch it. It's on Netflix, the social dilemma. It will blow your mind and you will want to change everything that you do. And you will not change anything you do because no. social media <laughs> runs our lives. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, it was the social dilemma was such a powerful documentary to watch because it really does break down for you how social media is addictive and how it is affecting people particularly affecting young people Mm -hmm. um like uh, mental illness or like mental health issues and suicidality is like super increased in young like tween girls right now Mm -hmm. um and they they link it to like social media usage and it's yeah it's really wild but I don't, re- yeah, I mean, I don't know how to combat it. Be- it. Again, just like so many of our issues, I really do think it it, com- it comes down to systemic change that then can help support healthy decisions that we want to make, but in a, a worlds or in systems that you have to have this or you rely on this for certain things, like then you need, right? Like same idea with our previous conversations about plastic, right? Like we yeah. can try to limit our own usage, but at the end of the day, like it requires bigger, broader systemic yeah. change to really support that. Um, Anna, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Do you, do you want to add something to what she was saying? Cause I was going to pull out something that would make, take our conversation somewhere else. No, go ahead. All go right. ahead. So Devon, you also live in the city. Girl. Um, so today I received the calendar from the city. Ooh. And I actually um I'll give credit where credit is due. I actually really like it. They have um all the public authority meetings at the bottom here. Oh, and that's cool. the um calendar, like the zoning board hearing uh it is in on May 11th and May. Um 
<laughs> this pretty nice calendar. I mean, I disagree with like some of the stuff they put here about, you know, Aries doing this and Aries doing that. And I'm like, mm, well, we'll see about that. <laughs> but Aries my has hopes for that. Mm-hmm. But my, um, what triggered that for me was um, at the beginning of the calendar, they have, uh, they break down recycling for you. And they also have like compost collection and this and that. Yeah. But um, what, um got me to grab this just now is what page is it they have um recycling broken down and I feel like I try my best I try my best and I have close friends who are really environmentally conscious to recycle right like I stopped a few years ago recycling pizza boxes I didn't know you weren't allowed to Mm -hmm. um if you get if you get cups from like Starbucks and it's plastic I used to think you can recycle it you can't Mm -hmm. it's trash oh yeah yeah things are trash but I recently um like stopped recycling toilet paper rolls and paper towel rolls. Those are also, I believe I was told trash, but um, today I saw that you also can't recycle things like laundry detergent bottles. So it's just one of these things where it's like, I try my utmost best, but Mm -hmm. every day I'm finding out there's something new that can't be recycled. So at the end, it's like, this is beyond me now. It's a structural thing that needs to change. Right. Yeah. For oh, sure. wait a minute. I'm confused. It says here, why are we accepting less plastic? Mm-hmm. Due to global market conditions, the demand for recycled plastic is low. Other plastic items used to be shipped overseas but are no longer being accepted. We have to have other options soon. So wait, <laughs> that's like a whole different... St- different uh, so China, um, was it last year or a few years ago, stopped mm-hmm. taking American waste because we weren't recycling in the correct fashion slash maybe our load of trash was also mm-hmm. excessive. Um, when Michaela and Amina were here, and this also in the calendar, they were saying that you can only recycle one to two plastics. So if you look at any given product at the bottom or on the side, they'll have a triangle with a number in it. Mm-hmm. You can only recycle certain products okay. that have certain numbers and the most recyclable are one and two. That means all the other numbers, three through seven, I believe it goes to, mm-hmm. are just garbage unless you find someone who can recycle them. And that goes back to what IRG proposed. Mm-hmm. They proposed yeah, that's that, what yeah, they proposed that um, the facility that they're going to build here would do something with the rest of those plastics. But it's pretty much, right. from my understanding, incinerating mm-hmm. those things so it can be used for steel yeah. production. Yeah, they'll be flaking it, shipping it across the lake, and then incinerating Mm -hmm. it in Canada. But that might also become illegal very well. Shipping trash again. Yeah. This is mixed messages. I feel like I'm getting mixed messages. It's it's such a... It's such Mm a... um, Yeah. It's nice, though. I mean, I'm on the thing. I appreciate the transparency and government meetings and things like that. I feel like we don't do enough as like local governments to make meetings accessible exactly we got oh we got shout out to Corey cook on this one february okay this uh this is the this is one of the what the culture and diversity oh y'all gotta did did they sent this to all of erie right well i think I so. so i hope so i mean i think this is what people have been asking for is like people need places where they can just find everything related to the city especially when they get more involved yeah. yeah i'll give them that this is it's a great start we need yeah. the website of many oh my god <laughs> what you say lid oh Lydia? i just said it's step one of many more yes i love it i love it bare minimum now let's keep going okay uh, in here i don't want to read the whole letter 
it, it starts with a mayor making a note and he repeats the thing about wanting to end racism. I really want him to stop saying that. Oh, okay, let's unpack that because I would love to unpack that. That also bothers me. Marty, tell yeah. me more. Um, I don't think anyone should say that ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just don't. Like, yeah, I understand. You can want racism to end. Yes, we all wish that we lived in a world where um, people were not discriminated against race. But to say that you want to end it is not something plausible at all. It's not something you can control. Now, do you have the power to fight literally the policies and systems that, um, you know, push racism into our everyday lives? Yes, mm -hmm. but you need to say that and you need to say how you're going to do that. Send, saying yeah. you're going to end racism is empty. It means mm -hmm. absolutely nothing. Yeah, and I it agree. just kind of sings to the people who will want to hear that you're not a racist. You know, there are some people who just want to support you to know that they aren't racist by supporting you. Not them saying this, they're racist. I'm just saying, stop saying things like that. It's not productive. Mm -hmm. It's not effectual. And mm -hmm. it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. That's not that should I, I mean, in my personal opinion, I don't think it should be a full that should not be the first thing that if nothing else, that's what the focus is, is to end racism. I, racism. I think that there's like Marty said to add to that, there's so much more to unpack about that because that racism is a systemic thing. And what we talked about in the summer was we wanted to fight all these systemic issues, right? You know, all the way down. It didn't just start with Hannah Silbaugh um, being the one that was um, affected by a police officer. There's been people of color who um, we don't even know some of the stories. You know what I'm saying? So my thing is, if you wanted to end racism in the summertime, when there was certain situations and certain things that you could have done to... <laughs> wipe out right racism that should have been done and i that's to me i just don't understand you know to keep talking about it but not your actions don't add to, up to that it's kind of like empty promises um and uh are empty like what marty was saying like it was very it's like an empty message because we've there's been many situations that we didn't see that happen and yeah. that's unfortunate that's real unfortunate to be honest with you like mm -hmm. i'm just sad like, no, sure. well, <laughs> I'm just sad like that that's there's so much more that we could be doing to it also just feels like very in line with <clears throat> certain tropes or certain like uh, patterns of rhetoric we've heard yes people in power use where it is simultaneously like Marty was saying like it's it's overly lofty and also not tangible with also like you were saying about it like and also no action to justify it or yeah. back it up um but like I'm even like reminded of um like when Bush I think it was Bush started the like war on terror mm -hmm. like a war on terror becomes mm -hmm. an always justifiable war mm -hmm. because terror will always exist and so we can either confront terrorism when we see it or we can confront injustices when we see it but to kind of make this like brought, like I'm going to like do this one like big thing. I don't know. Yeah. It's, Even it feels so uneducated too. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Even in that example though, by broadening it, they didn't have to say specifically we're fighting <clears throat> against, um, it's, I don't want to use their language. What is the right way to say this? We're fighting against terrorists that come from Muslim countries. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. But we live in a country where white supremacists literally are organized to bomb things, to do mass right. shootings. Was it two years now, Shady Side? 
Mm-hmm. In Pittsburgh, that um, a man walked in there and shot a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we were children, there was Timothy, Timothy McVeigh and mm-hmm. Oklahoma City. We have terrorists that are living here, and they have been proudly walking and marching in our streets for these past years. Right. Well, well what, how we, have we been fighting against them? No. So, like, yeah. when you're not specific to what you're going to do or why you're doing it, it allows you to do whatever you want or not do whatever you want, you know? Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, for sure. Well, and yeah, again, like you just, you reveal your disconnect from the actual issue when you say, I'm going to end racism. It feels so bizarre. Like, I'm going to end cancer. I'm yeah, going, like, like, how are you going like, to do that? Okay. I mean, I found it. Can I read what it says now? Yes, go yeah. ahead. If I do nothing else as mayor, I want to end racism and prejudice in Erie. What an amazing community we would be if every resident felt welcomed and accepted for their unique skills, talents, and abilities that each possesses. Our diversity makes us stronger. Okay, so again, actions. Okay, so let's unpack this. Opportunity zones, right? Opportunity zones are supposed to be helping what? Do you want me to <laughs> <laughs> Marty? <laughs> well, they I say- know. I just don't know. How- I'm not good at wording. So I know they're okay. So, so let's they say there are economically distressed parts of our city. One may argue most of Erie is economically distressed, but there are certain zones that they have zoned to be opportunity zones. So do you want me to keep saying it or do you want to take over? Because uh, this is my thoughts. Like, okay. So I'm trying to collect my thoughts around it. Okay. So ugh, this this is a lot to unpack because what, what I'm trying to say is there's opportunity zones that we're supposed to be fighting mm-hmm. um, to for redevelopment is what they want to call it. I always say it's still gentrification the way mm-hmm. they're doing it. But if we want to see the zip codes like 16501, my zip code, 16502, 16503, mm-hmm. the poorest zip codes right in here in the inner city, mm-hmm. um, if that money of the opportunities don't supposed to be going into those communities. Why are people not seeing that? You know, and I just think that that's where I'm saying that's how you end racism. That's a systemic thing. Um, and, and I think that y'all, you know what I'm saying, Marty, like you, you know where I'm I going wanna, with this. Yeah. Because they say it's supposed to help our communities, but I feel like not feel like it's flawed from its inception. Opportunity yeah. zones are sub- the the hope is, and I'm really simplifying it, and I'm mm-hmm. simplifying it in the way I understand it as well. So anyone can right. correct me, but it's the hope that you create these zones in economically um, suffering areas, and that people with money, people with capital, will come and build either businesses or something mm-hmm. in those areas that will, you know, they're going to bring tax dollars into it by just being there and that they're going to be bring jobs into it. And that, you know, it's going to revive the community and redevelop the community. But mm-hmm. if you're waiting on people with wealth to come and build, you've already left out the community mm-hmm. in the process, you know, yeah, people living on, I, I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to broad brush, but right. let's just say generally the East side, mm-hmm. um, they're not, not, not many of them are multimillionaires no. who are gonna, or even no multimillionaires who are going to come and share funding together to go put a new laundry facility, facility mm-hmm. down in that area and make money for the community. It's people who want to make a profit. So they're going to bring businesses in there that are bring profit. Yes. Um, 
the community is just not really involved in the process. It's just the whole thing of waiting for people with capital to come bring their money to invest in your community so that your community can turn around. Just then everything is going to be prioritized about their interests, not what really the community needs. So it's just flawed to begin with. I don't understand why we celebrate it. Um, Yeah. Without further research or, you know, asking the community what they would like to see. I think Mm -hmm. what I'm basically trying to say is like with the ending racism thing, I think that should have been, if if anything, if you wanted to do um, ending racism, you need to then put in policy that racism is a public health crisis because here in the city of Erie there, that needs to happen. They did that in the County. And I don't understand why the city, when there's been so many issues that we've had, why, especially based around racism in our system, I don't understand why would we not have started that as a process if there was the goal was to end racism. Like sometimes you got to denounce it. You have to actually do something about it and they don't want to do something about it. Well, because that's why they announce it. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't. Like why not just give the money to the people in the community to then do their own thing? Why is it that, you know, you have to have this money and it has to be zoned? Because it's a capitalist system that people's value is only dictated by how much money they can bring you or bring into Mm. like the quote unquote economy. Because what the fuck does that even mean anyway? Like- Mm -hmm. I don't know. And look what is proposed to come. Sorry to bring it back to IRG, the International Recycling Group, but look what one of the first big projects that would be potentially moving into Mm -hmm. one of these opportunity zones is going to be. It's going to be this Mm -hmm. huge, massive um, recycling plant, quotation marks, that, you know, between the trucks coming into the community that, you know, will bring pollution, between Mm -hmm. the plastic being potentially shipped over the water, which will pollute our water resource, and um, the fact that it's most likely going to be in a community where it's surrounded by either people of color or low-income people, those are the people Mm -hmm. who are going to be impacted by its environmental thing impact, Mm -hmm. you know, these people who are already economically suffering and or don't have the same job or opportunities that people Mm -hmm. um, do in other communities. Yeah. It's just, it's not a fair trade-off. It never is. No, a hundred percent not. No, because again, like you, like you said, it's people from outside the community coming in and doing whatever they want that will like fit their needs with either fake regard for the community. (laughs) So by greenwashing it or, or saying that this is going to help people or by total disregard for the community, like it doesn't even matter. I mean, how many people in those neighborhoods did hypothetically IRG or just like anywhere. Like I've seen this happen in so many different places. Like I, I went to school out in Portland, Oregon. That was happening as I was going through school of like just people going into communities and making decisions for it. Like that was an entire unit we did about, uh, or we did covered in social, in my social work undergrad program was how to support communities without going in and, and being a white savior or, or going in and telling them how to do something like one of the biggest flaws of social worker with most helping professions, I think is people going in and telling someone what they need when we are absolutely all the experts in our own lives and are fully capable of identifying what our needs are if given the space to do so. But so often we're just told, Oh no, this is what you need. Let me tell you this is what I see for you. When like, we just know that that doesn't work. It always misses the underlying root cause of like whatever any issue is. Like, it's almost kind of like, and not to make, this is a pretty big word to use. So maybe, well, it's almost seems a little predatorial, honestly. I think a little bit. 
the oh, yeah, I think communities yeah. that are struggling because they know we're not a Pittsburgh, we're not yeah. a Cleveland that, you know, is doing all right and can fight against it. They come into communities that are desperate and yeah. whose leaders are desperate to, you know, please yeah. some of their voters. So they'll do and bend over backwards to get anything done. So yeah. Yeah. without the consent and for sure. It's oh, crazy. Sure. Well, there's this um there's this book. I was just talking about it to John the other day. Um about it's called The Shock Doctrine. It's by Naomi Klein, The Shock Doctrine. Um and it basically outlines ways in which particularly uh, U.S. business owners and, and people within U.S. government have gone into other communities around the world during times of crisis or like sh during shocking times when they're in their most desperate times and takes advantage of that to the betterment of the U.S. economy or the U.S. businesses and to the, the detriment and devastation of so many other communities around the world. But that, I think that's absolutely what is happening here is mm -hmm. called like disaster capitalism. And obviously like, we're not in a like natural disaster. We're not, you know, reeling in the wake of a hurricane or something like that, but, but we are absolutely in crisis in a lot of spaces. And a lot of individuals are in crisis right now, like given COVID and just the struggles that everyone faces on a daily basis for a whole host of reasons. But mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely think that these people are are preying upon vulnerable, desperate people. Yeah, and they yeah. use jobs. They yeah. use jobs as the carrot. Yep, fifty jobs, fifty, fifty to maybe a hundred jobs in a city over ninety thousand people. I don't know how many of wow. those people. No, are yeah, employed. about ninety. Yeah, but about fifty 90 jobs is not mm -hmm. worth giving up. Mm -hmm. You know, primary real estate in our public health. You know, but. These leaders, and understandably, these leaders are looking for something to give back, you know, and right. whoever, you know, sees us as an opportunity comes here and tries to sell them on it. And sometimes terrible decisions are made. Mm -hmm. mm. Right. But that's mm. why we need better lead. Like, that's why if you can't handle things in a crisis, if you can't desperately need something, but also still be thoughtful and, and protecting the people you represent, <laughs> then you should not be in leadership. Mm. If you're so quick to just buy into whatever the easiest solution is, if you're, if you're framing things as I'm going to end this historic global, like, just like rooted in the foundations of our country issue, like racism, I'm going to end that as, as one older white guy. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. But you know not. what? I can't even just put it on, you know, I think when, and maybe I'm just looking at also just the, we have to also talk about power, right? And, you know, the mayor is not the only one that's in power. There's people who are hold stake, hold, who are stakeholders who I don't know who's giving, not saying these are not his words, not, you know, mm -hmm. but I think, you know, the advice, I wonder, mm -hmm. you know, what the administration, the advice mm -hmm. of saying mm -hmm. that and what does that look like? Because he has to be the one that's giving this message. And so, mm -hmm. so I'd be interested to, yeah, yeah, I'd be interested to know that. And that's, I mean, I, I would be, I mean, I'd be interested to, well, we know. But, well, that makes it kind of worse that your team is telling you that. Well, I don't know. And I mean, I'm just literally hypothetically speaking, but that's usually mm -hmm. what a team, right? A, hype, uh, a team does. That's usually what a right. cabinet or administration would do, right? Is they're advising mm -hmm. you with these certain things. And I think that we're really missing the mark. Anybody like in future, like if they're looking to be a person who wants to get into that mayoral position or in city council or whatever, um, mm -hmm. if you're going to say, I want to end racism, if you are going to say, this is what I would like to see, um, I want to end 
end this, then you need to have a plan. Tell me how, mm-hmm. tell me where the issues, why there's racism and why mm-hmm. you, there's so many more, there's so much deep seated history that we have that's going on here that nobody has, we have not yet unpacked. So mm-hmm. if you want to end racism, then what are you doing? Are you working with Hagen National Society? Are you working mm-hmm. with other different groups that are working to end poverty? Or I don't know, Are we? what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, what is the plan? How is everybody working collectively and not just trying to do it in their own little small groups? Because mm-hmm. you cannot end racism without everybody behind uh, a plan and figuring out, you know, so anybody who wants to run later on in life, that's what you need to think about. What is your plan? Why? You know, mm-hmm. The why, you know, what is, what is, what is your reasoning? I think that it shouldn't be just this blanketed statement of, I want to end racism. Right. That's no, cute. absolutely. You yeah. can't, and if you're you don't not going to, you're no. not going. Right. <laughs> absolutely not. No, because A, it's so deeply rooted. Like, that's yes. just gonna happen. That's just not going to happen. And that's not to say it's not a, a worthy goal, or it's not to say that we shouldn't be doing everything we can to confront it and prevent it and, and safeguard our, our government and our systems and our community from the really like lethal effects of racism, like police brutality and racist gun violence. Um, but yeah, to say such a, a broad statement it's offensive. It's insulting to the people that know how deep these roots are. Um, deep. And yeah, I mean, the, yeah. I mean, I was just talking last time about medical racism. Like what mm-hmm. from your position as mayor are you going to do about that? There's nothing you can do about that. So I just wonder if he's ever even thought about that. <laughs> yeah. How deep it goes. It's not just, you want that, you know, this, this, it, <laughs> this magic wand, like, oh, I want to end racism mm-hmm. thing. And there's right. like a, you know, <laughs> it's everywhere it's It's, (laughs) and it's global you know like because it's systemic and Mm -hmm. this is we we, i know they probably yo whoever here when i know they probably when they listen to like we're just wanting to but no it's been a frustration of mine from um talk about from when he was running though it's Mm -hmm. just i would not advise anyone like lydia said if you're running in the future to say you're going to end something so broad No, like, I mean, it's just one word too. Like just say confront. Yes. Just switch it, right. Cause We're then even confront. just changing that one word demonstrates that you understand the depth of this issue, but to say end. And again, like if you don't have the space to unpack and say like, I'm going to end racism and here's how I'm going to do it. And if, if you don't have the space and time to outline exactly how you're going to do it, or you don't know how you're going to do it, then don't say it. Yeah. I was going to say he had an opportunity this summer though, to confront racism when that officer Mm-hmm. emailed him and I don't believe it I don't remember if he emailed other staff members of um, the administration but the the mayor's response was pretty much like yeah I try to make like the city really welcoming and I want this to be a great environment for everyone but he did not really directly challenge mm-hmm. you know what that officer was mm-hmm. saying in a way that I think most people who were you know marching in the streets would have liked mm-hmm. um, and then the response to the officer now I'm just venting about this whole summer. Mm-hmm. I won't. I just feel like um, <laughs> the end of the year actions behind that statement were not shown in a moment where it could have been proven, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So if this was truly an authentic desire, mm-hmm. it would have been ingrained in everything you do and everything you say. And mm-hmm. that's the, and that's the frustrating part for all these people that say that they are quote unquote, not racist. They, but they're not taking the steps to be anti-racist. And for me, like anti-racist is like, <sighs> absorbing or or embedding 
anti-racist action and mm-hmm. confronting racism into everything you do, literally everything mm-hmm. you do, mm-hmm. whether it's from shopping to talking to, to hanging out, to what you post on social media, to what you watch on TV. Like if it's not in everything you do, then you're not doing it. It's so very if, active. Yeah. It's very active. It has to be, it has to be because the status quo is racist. The status quo is racist. That, that conveyor belt is always going. So unless you're actively walking against the grain to try to make any progress, you're going with the grain, which is racist. Like it's wild. I don't think people get truly just how strong the current is towards racism in our communities Mm -hmm. and in society. Like if, if we all just sat back today and did nothing, like everything would become worse yeah it would everything would become more racist more divided more sexist like any incident of prejudice injustice all that like would become exacerbated all the time in every situation is people taking the steps to actively confront it in every situation that makes us even a step closer to to equity but that that that's not just actually like happening on its own organically or Mm. accidentally yeah that's why I, I feel like one of the first there's so in leadership in the city, there are two big things that they could do that would be a first step. It's not going to address or change anything substantially, but it would be a bit first step. Mm-hmm. And all of these plans, whether it's like eerie refocused or I'm blanking on some of the other bigger ones, you mm-hmm. need to have a whole entire section in your plan committed to anti-racism, anti-discrimination. Mm-hmm. You need to, need to identify in that document historically what has been done to certain communities yes. in your city. Mm-hmm. And you need to highlight what are the specific plans you're going to do, whether it's with your public office or working with private enterprises to address those things. That's one. Yeah. Two, you need a legit inclusive board or body working on these things inclusive Mm -hmm. is different from diversity Mm -hmm. it's not sprinkling on one black guy one (laughs) one asian guy Mm -hmm. one latino guy and then notice i'm also saying guy because sometimes there's also the gender problem that they're always men Mm -hmm. girl say it Mm -hmm. um Having one of each or even two of each is not inclusion. You need inclusion in education mm-hmm. background. You need inclusion in wealth background. Mm-hmm. You need a group of, you need a minimum of five people of any given background to really get a diversity in where their backgrounds are. Mm-hmm. Me and Devonna, even though we're Black, we have very different backgrounds. You mm-hmm. cannot expect Devonna to speak about my experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really trust any governing bodies or decision making bodies where there are one no black people or people of color or even just one person of color mm-hmm. so I, don't, I don't know if this is helpful but it's just something that's in my mind um no for i agree with really you. impact things yeah i agree with you on the diversity because we are a diverse city i think what we're not seeing is the inclusion part that's the, that's the that's yeah. the part like what duh we know Erie's diverse like we've been, like that's Right. Known thing. It's the lack of diversity, the lack of representation in city council and council government. It's like so much. It doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. It's wild to me. I don't Mm. understand. We should not be in 2020 doing this, but we are and we're things are changing, but it's with Erie, we have to do fast progression. It can't be this, like we're having one person Mm-mm. get in a role it needs to like be fast yeah. like and quick right. you know and they like, need to be listening to the people that are already there too yeah. I, like sometimes I think people are so excited or or motivated to bring more people 
mm-hmm. of a diverse quote unquote background into a space. But if you have people that are there already and you're not listening to them, mm-hmm. or if you have people in the community that are trying to help you or trying to inform your, your work and you're not listening to them, why are you trying to bring more people into the fold if you can't even work with what you got? Yeah. And that's how I feel too about like other businesses or like bringing in other industries or, or trying to like, I feel like there's been conversations about like trying to um, attract young professionals to Erie's downtown. Like, no, I would love to see you embrace the people that already live there and occupy that space already. You don't need to attract new people. You just need to embrace the people that are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I feel like in this conversation, I'm feeling really fiery because it's like at the cross section of my experiences. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, like there have been a lot of times where I have been the only woman in the room. I have been the only black person in the room. I've been the only um, young person in the room. Mm-hmm. And I speak, even though I can't um, speak for everyone in that moment, I speak as a person with that background to you know people in leadership and say like mm-hmm. this is what I've been experiencing this is how I think you can bring more people like myself into the organization slash this is how I feel like you don't take us seriously slash protect us in these spaces and I've almost always been dismissed so it's mm-hmm. like how can you say you want to bring more young people more people of color into these groups and then dismiss them or treat them poorly when they're there and expect mm-hmm. things to get better right if you're going to be about saying you want this, you want that, then you need to treat them well when they're there or else mm-hmm. like myself, I've chosen to prioritize things that, you know, will respect my time and mm-hmm. will give me back the love that I give to it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I was thinking this conversation, uh, started with us kind of talking about, um, well, this was like prior to recording. So for folks that weren't listening in prior but we had been talking about um like our understandings of race and really like the important internal work that we all have to do in order to to be good advocates for that and I wonder um like to bring it back to that as we begin a new year you know for some people it feels like a fresh slate or a a new opportunity to to put your your words into action to to really demonstrate whatever you're committed to to make that new year's resolution to end racism like how are you going to do that and I I think a part of that is really uncomfortable uh, but important internal work that you need to do Um, and and to unpack your perceptions of the issues and and to to unpack your blind spots and and your your spaces where you have privilege that you're you're just not seeing things and you're missing things and so one thing we were talking about earlier was uh, a uh, an activity I did for this positive racial identity development in children, uh, where we talked about like the first time we were aware of race, like just as a general concept and what it meant and, and how we felt, what were the feelings around it. So I wonder, uh, for anyone that wants to share, um, and I mean our hosts, but also for anyone listening that wants to share, we'd love to hear your, your response as well, whether that's, um, directly to us in a message or comments or, um, your own post and tag us in it, but, um, you know, what was your first exposure to race as a concept? (laughs) (laughs) Ah. So 
I can't remember how old I was. My mom said I was definitely young child age. Like in, I would say young, like very young, she said. And I had asked her a specific question. I said, mom, am I black or am I white? And at that young age, she was looking at me like, girl, like you're black. Um, and <laughs> now looking at that conversation, I could unpack that a lot because I mean, I know there's many black women who are listening probably to this story and hearing and probably thinking, well, dang, I, that, I asked that question. Or you're probably thinking, what the heck? How did this girl not know she was black? But I did not. I, I think for me, when I look back on that now, um, I know that obviously my skin complexion is brown, right? I am black. I come from a family who of lineage of African people of like, I know my lineage, right? But uh, when I look at that on a spiritual aspect, like I didn't, I'm not a race, like I'm not a color, I'm just a spirit, right? And so that's how I realized that as such a young, such a, since being a young kid, I always looked at myself as in an existential way. Is that, is that the right way to say that? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, it's interesting to now grasp the concept of being black, being a black American, right? And so that, you know, to be real transparent, I don't know if a lot more black women can understand or relate, but for me, like race was so, it was so complex because, you know, you're in America, you're black, right? But then I know that I have so many, I know that I'm not just black. You know, I've heard people just say, well, I'm just black. No, what does that look like? What does that mean to you? You know, and for me, like it took a, to now, like I just got my ancestry and I got my DNA and now I can have something that is tangible to let me know I am an African-American, right? It's just, But it's crazy because like asking that question when I was a kid, like I still feel that way as an adult sometimes, like I'm more than just the outside what you see you know so i know it was really long-winded but that's mm. was really deep Mm-mm. but no that wasn't long-winded at all that yeah was really good um well i guess I, i'll tell my story and then i'll let marty and <laughs> because i feel like hers is good but um <laughs> yours is good too well i don't know i'll just i'll, I'll just tell my story. um but i was thinking back to grade school um and in, I went to Villa Maria Elementary School, so a private Catholic school. There was only two uh, little black boys in my like first grade class when I started there. And I think by the end, like by the time I got to eighth grade, there was one. And um, luckily, like he and I were super close friends all through grade school. Um, his name is uh, Josh. And uh he and I were so like, we would write each other letters over the summer. Sometimes like we would be pen pals with each other. Like we were so close. And I remember, I don't even know how old, maybe second or third grade, but we were both sitting after school. Like both of our parents were kind of like a little late to pick us up. So we were waiting after school to get picked up. And, uh, and we were sitting there and I was drawing pictures of he and I, and when I drew it, but I was like drawing us as like babies or something. I I was little, so I don't really remember exactly how it all like what we were doing, but I was drawing pictures of us as if we were little babies. And I made my person like with a little nose and little ears and like little features. And then with him, because he had a broader nose um, and his ears kind of poked out, I made his, his ears bigger and I made his nose bigger. Um, And to me, I, I had no malintention. I was just drawing it as I saw it, that like his, some of his features were bigger than mine. Um, but then when my dad looked at it that afternoon, when he picked me up and he was like, Lydia, that's not okay. You can't draw people like that. And, and I don't know if it's, I don't remember all the details of it. 
all I remember is feeling so horrified that I had done something offensive that I, I had not even intended to do. Um, and that I had noticed these differences in he and I in just like the way we looked, but that somehow in my depiction of it, I had done something wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, and what's really weird too, is that my dad was super progressive and, and I, I yeah. think he had a very positive idea of like how to engage in conversations about race and how to like, yeah, to not perpetuate racism. But I don't know if maybe he just wasn't there yet, or maybe he just hadn't thought about like, I don't know how to make the connection. It was, it was such an interesting, and I still haven't fully like processed or unpacked like what all that meant. Mm -hmm. um, but I just remember feeling like so like, do you ever like get like secondhand embarrassment or like embarrassment after the yeah. fact where you're just uh -huh. like, oh my gosh, I was like totally not ashamed or embarrassed in the moment. And now I'm so embarrassed of the fact that I wasn't embarrassed back then. No, I feel that. And so not only did I feel that as a kid, but I almost like felt it again when I was in this training and we were asked to, to think about when we first became aware of race. Cause I was like, oh shit. Like I haven't thought about that incident in a while. And right. now I feel like ashamed, like had I drawn a caricature of my friend and, and what was he thinking as this little black boy in a dom predominantly white school? Like, was I hurting him or was he just like me, just a little kid unaware and we were just drawing each other and, and hanging out, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But such a, an interesting first, you know, That's experience wow. of, of race and being encouraged maybe not to identify racial differences and yeah. kind of part of that like colorblind trope or, or you know, uh, um, yeah. mentality of like, you just don't acknowledge it, which is problematic. Mm -hmm. but I guess better than the alternative, which is like racist. No, I don't know. It was just, it, it was such an interesting, and unfortunately because my dad has passed away, I can't like go back to him and be like, dad, what right. were you thinking? What happened? Am I missing something? You know, had I, had I said something like, had I, cause I've thought about this too. Like, had I made a comment about like monkey or something? Cause I know that that also is a very problematic, mm -hmm. you know? So did I say like, Oh, you know, this, we look kind of like monkeys or, or mm -hmm. I don't, I have no idea. And I don't remember. Um, but I wonder you know, what was his mentality and thought going in like, okay, what am I going to teach my white daughter about? And maybe he wasn't thinking about it because white parents don't typically think about race and what messages they're sharing about race. Yeah. I always want to know, like, what did they say in their families? But clearly we would have that issue. We would, I mean, I always wanted to know, like, how do white people like talk they, about race in your in the life, yeah. like, in your house? Yeah. And I don't think they do in a lot of places. I mean, I really don't think they do. I think it's something they don't talk about or it's something that they say like, oh, shh, don't talk. About. I mean, and I think that that could be true across the board for other people. Um, like regardless of race, I think for some families that there's this discomfort, if you haven't processed it yourself, right? like to process it with your little child, yeah, it can be uncomfortable. Um, wow. But, but it was a good lesson for me of like how I don't want to react. <laughs> like yeah. I, I want to be a proactive and not just reacting if I see an issue, but also like, like to, so just recently with Benji, sorry, I'm going on and on. Um, no. This, uh, we opened a Christmas present early and we were playing Guess Who? The old, you know, game from, I don't know, when we were kids and you, you know, guess who your character is. You have to ask all the questions. All the people, I thought that they were like a little bit more diverse. In this version of the game, it was all white people, mostly men. 
And I was like, so baffled. And so I had a, cause I was a little embarrassed. I had bought this game thinking like, oh, this is a fun game. And then I'm playing with Benji and all the people are white. And I was like, so crazy. This is not what I wanted. Um, and so I, I, but I decided I was going to use it as an opportunity. So I said like, Benji, have you ever heard about the word diversity? And he was like, no, diversity. Well, what's that? Or whatever. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, diversity means when like people look different or think different or have lived in different places or, um, you know, believe in different things. I said, and, um, and it's a good thing, you know, cause we like people from all, you know, and everyone's a little different and, and that's fun and whatever. And I said, this game is not very diverse. See how all the people are white. And I was like, we know a lot of people that aren't white, right? Like you're brown and like you have family members that are brown or black and white. And <laughs> wouldn't that be cool if the game had people that looked like the people we all know? And he's like, oh yeah. He's like, yeah, these people are all white. Like, yeah, that's not cool. I said, you know what? Maybe what we could do is make our own and like make our own cards and have pictures of like our friends and family on it to use instead oh, of these just plain white people. Um, and he was like, yeah, okay. And then we went back to playing it because he like loves it and is like becoming really good at it and like has gotten us in like one question. <laughs> like, is they are they wearing a green hat? And we're like, yeah, how do you know that? <laughs> so and so. Anyway, but I think little things like that, I hope will help prevent feelings about talking about race or yeah. um, a lack of diversity or inclusion like the experience that I had as a little kid. You I know? agree, I agree sure. with that. Anyway, okay, Marty, go ahead. Or if anyone has anything to say. Um, while you two were talking, you both like pulled something out of my own memory slash, I don't know if it matches, but um, so I grew up in Pittsburgh as most people may know, but um, so I went to a school called St. Benedict Moore. I went to Catholic school until college. Um, St. Benedict the Moore is a black saint. Um, if you know Moors, you know, that's what, you yeah. know, they reference black mm -hmm. people as. Um, so we were in the Hill District, which is a historically black neighborhood in Pittsburgh. And I don't know why Ooh. I want to tell you the whole history of the Hill District, but it's a really amazing, it has amazing history that you should look into. Um, but um, we were, aside from two biracial Latina, Latino children, the school was almost entirely black. And so from kindergarten until eighth grade, our education was a standard education, but outside of that, like history class and social studies class really hammered in black American history and how important it was, how we as students in these classrooms were sitting here privileged because of the work that you know, a lot of black civil rights leaders um, had championed and that everything that they were teaching us as our teachers about black history, we would never get the same education that we were getting there as children outside of the walls of St. Benedict. And since then going to Oakland Catholic, which was another Catholic school, but with majority white, and then subsequently attending Edinburgh, it has been proven to be true. Um, you know, I didn't, I have not actually had the diversity in teachers that I had back then. I think all but a few of my teachers were black. Um, I don't even, I never thought about that. Cause I know that's a question people ask people like how many black teachers did you have? And some, a lot of people only say one or none. Mm -hmm. um, 
So as a kid, I grew up with, in preschool too, I grew up with examples of black teachers. I had teachers teaching me black history and they were telling me like, you're strong and you're beautiful and you're smart. You're going to achieve all these things because you have, um, you know, this history in you. But where I separate a little bit is that I'm an immigrant. So mm-hmm. in middle school, I started to realize that even though I'm really proud and um, feel really strongly about black American history, my parents came over here and my dad came over here in the 70s and then my mom in the 90s. My history is not black American history. So there was this balance of figuring out like, okay, when we learn about African history, we're only learning about ancient Egypt and they don't look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn about Timbuktu very briefly, but they don't really talk about people's history. Even now I need to go on my own and study African history. So I have not fully, um, and because of travel too, I've not fully connected um, with that side of myself. Um, so yeah, I think that answers that question, but also like unpacking um, white supremacy was another part of my childhood. So like as a kid, I wanted my hair to move like white girl's hair. And I remember my mom saying, you're black. Your hair is not going to move like that. Um, and I'm learning like some of the fears I had around feeling stereotyped when I went to high school with majority white kids and feeling like I couldn't say I liked rap music and I felt I couldn't eat chicken wings in front of people because yeah. I thought I would look like a stereotype. Um, and I feel very privileged to live when I do now because the natural hair movement, all the pride that comes in blackness right now has really empowered me as an adult. And I hope that the children growing up now feel differently about themselves than I did in the yeah. 90s, mm-hmm. mid, early thousands. I agree with that. I think there's still so much more too that we don't know um, when it comes to the history of, you know, um, of being black. Like, what does that look like? You know, like that could be a whole other episode um, because that I think <clears throat> when you're talking about your experience being different, it's at the same time a little similar because as a black American, a lot of us struggle because I think there's the identity. We have like a very, and I'm not going to talk about all of us, but I will say in my experience, I look and I say, but what was my identity past being black American? You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. where are our roots? Like are our roots, are my roots just, um, roots of slavery, like what they want us to believe because there's been civilizations here in America before America was America that were black. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That were African, that mm-hmm. were, you know, uh, Native American or indigenous, you know. And so I think that we also have to like change and shift some of this narrative that, you know, all that that we just existed uh, in that in slavery. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so mm-hmm. much more in our history that is so rich that people have not that people have whitewashed, that people have left out of history books um, Mm -hmm. so that we have no pride. And I think that, you know, when we talk about ending racism in our city, especially here in Erie, um, we need to start talking about the deep history of, you know, what we, what we did, what we, what we brought to, uh, to our civilization, like what people are using now that black people, African people created and invented that was stolen. So, I mean, it can be, it, there's so much more to unpack in that question too. It's like, ah, uh, just frustrates me. Mm-hmm. At, at the same time, I'm so happy we're in 2021, going into 2021 with truth. And a lot more people are now trying to, you know, like you said, Marty, do your research because thank God we have technology now. Thank God we have the, the, the you know, the, um, I guess the 
technology to research this in books. And like, that's why I love reading and just researching because yeah, I just want to know. <laughs> I just want to know all the time what's going on, but race. Yeah, mm. it's a big issue. And I don't think you should be, th- not you. I yeah. don't think people should be throwing around words that they don't understand. Right, right. And, and it doesn't mean that you need to know everything. In fact, I think it's better to talk about it when you don't know everything, but then you need to be approaching it as if you don't know everything from a place, that, of, yes. from a place of openness, from a place of, you know, wanting to to know more, or like you said, like learning more and, and, and yeah. every opportunity you have. I absolutely don't know everything there is to know about racism, obviously, um, but I'm trying really hard mm-hmm. and approaching it with humility and transparency and honesty right and like I can be embarrassed and and whatever but if I'm being honest like what's the worst you can say to me you know like Absolutely. I'm just gonna be here doing my best and yeah I think so many more people would be doing such better work in our community and I mean people like in positions of power mm-hmm. if they were just more honest and more humble and that's Don't what we're gonna be, be looking at I'm yeah, sorry. Don't, you say? don't be afraid of the conversation of race. Like it's really uncomfortable sometimes, but ultimately, you're only gonna grow when you listen to, to someone else's experience or do your own homework and learn more about like what people have currently gone through or like what historically has happened to certain groups in yeah. our country. It's really important to learn and have these conversations. Discomfort is a ch- is like it's okay. Discomfort is like pushes you to grow. I swear it really mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, and I feel like, I mean, I think our podcast is a really good example of that, though, too. Like, we don't always have really nice things, all positive things to say. But I also feel like at the end of the day, we end on some pretty positive notes or empowering notes that, you know, like, I wouldn't say that any one of us has a horribly dark outlook Mm -hmm. on the world or on the future. We're all pretty future oriented people. And, and we're really, I would say a lot of us are like optimistic and idealist in a lot, like we see potential. And the reason that we're so fed up with the status quo is because we know that there's so much better that yeah. we could be doing. Oh yeah. And so I feel like, yes, this can be uncomfortable. There can be parts that, that don't jive with our, like wanting to be positive or, or stay, you know, in the clouds, yeah. but but I, I think you can find a balance there. It doesn't always have to be guilt or shame or embarrassment. Like I obviously, like I don't feel shame or embarrassment all the time about my whiteness. A lot of times I feel really empowered of like, okay, this is a lot of responsibility. These mm-hmm. systems work really easily for me. So now I need to work a little harder to mm-hmm. make sure that I'm not just falling into that, you know, and, and it can be really powerful to think like okay I have a responsibility now I I owe this to other people to do better Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so I hope yeah I hope people feel better after listening to some of these conversations feeling empowered that they can do more yeah or that that or that they've had some of the same thoughts you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. like you know I'm sure we're not the only ones that think this way Hey everyone, thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, we have some exciting news for some opportunities for you to keep supporting our work here at Art Erie. Recently, our friends at Erie Arts and Culture, who 
huge, huge, huge shout out, huge thanks to them for making season one of Our Eerie possible. But our friends there have created a donation page for us so that you can donate, even if it's a dollar, would be huge to help uh, us continue doing this, this work and keep creating content, keep bringing new, new voices to the table. So if you're interested, we will uh, have that donation page link available on our social media and on the show notes for this episode. You've been listening to the Our Airy Podcast, the voice of reason in the fog of post-industrial America. Continue the conversation on Facebook slash Our Eerie Series. This podcast is produced by John C. Lyons, Marty Wachuku, Ivana Paisley, and Lydia Lay. Funding provided by Eerie Arts and Culture. Music by Corey Cook. We appreciate you for listening to Our Eerie Podcast. Peace.